0: Today, we're going to continue on in uh, the cultivation series. We're, we're about done with the cultivation series per se. I, obviously, we're always trying to cultivate and, and move forward in the church and understanding of the church. But for this partic- particular series, I think we've only got maybe one or two more sermons, and then we're going to move on. But if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter. We're going to be looking at jo- Joshua chapter, chapter 6 and 7. Uh, we touched a little bit on chapter 6 and even into a chapter 7 a little bit, and Mickey, the last time he talked about conquering culture, he spoke a little bit uh, on into chapter 7 as well. We're going to break it down a little bit uh, differently, kind of adding to and looking at some of the things that he was, he was talking about as well. But uh, turn with me jo- to Joshua chapter 6. We'll start there for a moment, then we'll be into Joshua chapter 7 pretty quickly. Uh, before we go any further, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that's already moving this morning and and leading and guiding and showing us. Lord God, I I thank you that we're able to worship in spirit and in truth and that we can come before you with confidence because of what uh, King Jesus has done and uh, that he has died in our place for our sins, uh, atoning for our sinfulness and and that which we uh, deserved fell on him so that what he deserved would fall on us and that's life. And the, the opportunity to enter into your presence, um, declare righteous and pure uh, before you. And so, God, we do that now. We come before you, and that we, uh, we long to see you. We long to hear from you. We long to be led by you and to uh, just rejoice in you. We give you praise, honor, and glory for everything that you're going to do today. And we ask that you would uh, show us your glory, that we might fall even more in love with you than when we came. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The uh, title of the sermon today is is Conquering Culture and this is part two of this um, so to speak because we've been talking about this a good bit but Mickey really did the first Conquering Culture and this is Conquering Culture part two and we're going to look at personal holiness. okay? Personal holiness And, and how this relates to our conquering of the culture around us. Now there's a lot of questions surrounding what does it mean to conquer the culture around us. Are we to take over culture and to uh, in um, maybe infiltrate the political system and the government and and try to maybe establish some type of theonomy or some type of biblical rule that would rule the country in place of the secular government now? There are a lot of questions. A lot of people think... Yes, that's exactly what we need to do and and they believe that if prophecy is fulfilled properly and uh, like they believe it will be in the scriptures then that's the direction that we're heading. That's called uh postmillennialism and and it's this idea that the world will get better and better as the church establishes dominion and rule over the world and it will start to take shape like that. not not all postmillennials are deontomist but some of them some of them are and A theonomist believes that that God and his people should dictate and rule over all the people uh, and that really there should be no distinction, and some would agree with this, that there should be no distinction between church and state, but the church kind of should be the state. And so as we look at that, there's all kind of different views, but I'll just say that to say there are different questions surrounding this on how what does it even mean that we would conquer culture You know, some would go to the other extreme to say, well, we shouldn't even be involved politically. We shouldn't be involved in nothing like that. That our job is simply to share the gospel and to pray, and we don't overtly overpower or, you know, Uh, infiltrate or place ourselves in any type of political discussions or anything like that, but we're completely separate from that and that God will do that if he sees fit. He'll make changes if he sees fit. But we don't really have uh, a command or a call to move into that secular section of of culture, okay? Uh, I believe that the balance is somewhere there in the middle. I believe that we are to move forward in... uh, proclaiming the gospel, to proclaiming Christ Jesus. But as we do that, that we should let the gospel infiltrate every area of our lives, whether it be our political view, whether it be our work ethic, whether it be the way that we raise our children, the way that we manage our money. It doesn't matter that the gospel infiltrates and and is the foundational element of the way you think about everything that you do in your life. Okay? So, Where I'm opposed to the uh, church becoming the state in, in large part is that I don't believe that our weapons are of this world. I don't believe that we should ever physically conquer for Jesus Christ with guns or with the sword. Okay, I believe that our weapons are not of this world, but they are spiritual in nature and that we conquer through the proclamation of the gospel, which does redeem and take culture. Because as we talked about last week when we talked about uh, engaging, evaluating, and challenging, the way that we go about this is the proclamation of the gospel which captures the thoughts and minds of those who God are calling to himself and it transforms the way that they speak so that where they are in this society would be transformed in and of itself. So if you, let's say, you reach a center, you reach a Cashier, It doesn't matter. You've just reached someone in that position who now effectually does what he does with the gospel undergirding his understanding of how life works. Does that make sense? You've effectively infiltrated with the gospel whatever realm that you're speaking the gospel into. So this gospel can have a political effect when that political person is affected by the gospel. His whole worldview changes. His whole understanding of reality changes. And so I want to talk to you a little bit bit about this. Now, last week when, uh, it was actually the week before last, when Mickey was preaching, he made a couple of statements that really speaks into what God was calling me to do today. And I want to remind everybody of what that was. He said this. He said, do we run for our guns or do we get on our knees and pray? We can't trust in the things of man to deliver us and conquer culture. It's not our money, power, guns, or the people we know. We just need to be obedient to the commands of God. Amen. 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 Is that statement justified? That's what I want to say to you today. See, if you break this down a little bit, everybody will say amen all the way down to the last part. But is this not works-based? Is this not works-based? We just need to be obedient to the commands of God. So, Mickey, are you saying that our obedience will bring about the change? I heard a no. I heard some amens while ago. Well, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I say amen. Especially if you go back and listen to the sermon. He said, what I'm not saying is is that we earn God's favor, but that as we do it God's way, God's uh, power prevails, so to speak. And I say amen. And so what I want to show you today is that he is on to something there. And that is money. That is money in the bank. And if we would continue and pursue after Christ and his holiness and his righteousness, then the whole world would be opened up to us, to Christ. But we're so consumed with ourselves and and discontented with what God has and we're so overwhelmed with selfishness and longing to have our own needs met that we cannot see that Christ is the foundational element to make real significant change in the world and to watch the chains and the bondage of sin fall away and people come into what Christ is calling them to be and for the, there to be a transformation in our society like has never seen before. A physical takeover of a country in the name of Christ will never match the spiritual transformation of a nation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand the difference? Okay. Well, let's get into this a little bit. I wanted to remind you of this. I think he was on the right track for sure. And I I, I want to bring out two truths out of Joshua 6 and Joshua 7. I'm going to try to move Rather quickly, because I want to get to the New Testament uh, fulfillment of everything that's being said here. Because without it, then it's just moralism. I'm telling you to do a really good job, and you'll get blessed and rewarded. And that while that's truth, we need to know understand how that works. Okay, We need to understand uh, what is the method by which we are blessed and that we are right with God. So two truths I want you to see are these. Number one... <coughs> Faith and obedience leads to the conquering of culture and the favor of the Lord. Write that down. Okay? If you're taking notes, type it into your phone, whatever. Number one, faith and obedience leads to the conquering of culture and the favor of the Lord. Now, we're going to go to uh, Joshua chapter 6. We're going to see this. We're also going to turn over to Joshua chapter 7. I want to set it up a little bit so you'll know what to be looking for and where my mind's working and where God's leading me. So that's Joshua chapter 6. Number two, faithlessness and disobedience leads to being conquered by culture and the burning anger of the Lord. Okay, here's two opposing views, uh, two opposing realities, I should say. Number one, faith and obedience leads to the conquering of culture and the favor of the Lord, Joshua 6. Number two, faithlessness and disobedience leads to being conquered by culture and the burning anger of the Lord being against you. Okay, Joshua chapter 7. Yeah, take a picture of it. We live in an easy age. We live in an easy age. <clears throat> okay, so let's break these two ideas down a little bit. Before I break them down, let's look at Joshua chapter 6. And Joshua chapter 7, now I'm not going to read all of Joshua chapter 6 because we've read it several times in here, and I think you understand the premise, and I've already preached on this somewhat. I've went through Joshua chapter 6 to some degree, and so I'll just remind you of several of that, and I'm going to pick up in Joshua uh, 6, 22. But if you'll remember in Joshua chapter 6, what happens is that uh, the Israelites move onto the city of Jericho. by the way that God had commanded them to move. Actually, it was Jesus Christ. We said that this was a Christophany when Jesus Christ showed up in the flesh in the Old Testament and he put forth his command and Joshua acknowledged that this was the Lord. He worked, fell down in worship. If you remember the commander of the Lord's army, he fell down in worship. The commander of the Lord's army said, I'm, not, I'm neither for you and, and, I'm, and I'm not for them. I'm for me. Okay, and we established that uh, this was one of the keys to understanding who the people of God are. Is that they're not, they're not, con- they're not concerned with their own agendas. They're not concerned with their own plans, with their own uh, needs. But they are concerned with Christ Jesus, who he is, what he desires, what he wants, and living in obedience to him. okay and uh, neither are we concerned with destroying other people. Rather, we are destroyed with honoring Christ and watching His will be done in the lives of other people, whatever that might be, okay? Well, as we established that, we saw that uh, as the people of God were completely obedient to Jesus Christ, even though, as Mickey said, it was counterintuitive or stupid, Surely would have been counterintuitive to the way that Joshua or the people would have thought to do it on many accounts, okay? The, the, the warriors with their swords, they did not get to go in and just conquer, okay? As a matter of fact, it was opposite of that. He said, listen, don't use your swords, but as a matter of fact, we're going to march around the city seven times. And I think that that's uh, very significant, but we don't have time there. They were marching around the city seven times. If you remember, God said, wherever the sole of your feet shall touch, that will be yours. In so many ways, what they were doing is they were declaring, this is mine, or this is the Lord's, this is ours. This is what God has given to us. You see, my feet, God told me that wherever my feet would land, this this is his. And so they were marking it out, perfectly marking it out. They marched around it seven times. This is the Lord's. And then they obeyed the Lord as they carried the presence of the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant in. And they blew the trumpet, which announces the arrival of the king. Okay? So they marched around declaring, this is the Lord's. They blew the trumpet. The Lord is here. It's his. The, the walls fell. The defensive fell. Now, if you remember, the, the people had already heard about the, the, the opposing nation, the Gentiles, had already heard about the wonderful things that God was doing in the lives of the Israelites, you know, crossing of the Jordan on dry ground and so on and so forth. And it says their, their, their hearts melted. Their hearts were like water. Their hearts melted. Their spirits melted inside of them. They had no spirit left. And the Lord came and the walls fell and the city was conquered. <laughs> the, Lord had, the Lord had gave a command that the treasure was to be stored up in the treasury of the Lord Okay, for the funding of God's movement. And everything else was to be put to the sword. Nothing was to be kept by the people. There's so much here. And every time I just open my mouth, things come into my mind, but i got to stay on track. Devote everything to destruction. You can have no part of that. Do not be infiltrated by the culture. Be focused on Christ. Be focused on God. All about God and nothing else. Do not let the culture infiltrate you. Well, they were obedient, and blessings flowed. They were faithful. They believed God. They believed what he said, even though this was a fortified city. And they just had set up the Gilgal, which was really just a a military hub and a place for consecration and training and righteousness and the law of the Lord. Okay, They had just set up the Gilgal. The Gilgal, which housed some Israelite soldiers, which had just wandered out of the wilderness, They'd had their things cut, you know, part of their things cut in surgery 15 days or so beforehand. Mickey brought that out and said, what kind of military plan is this? Now, the the scripture does say that they had time to heal, so God is gracious, you know. But I'm like, come on, dude, you know. And, And So everybody's like, we can't use our warriors. We've just had surgery on the most sensitive part of our body. And now you want us to go in and take the, the fortified city? We're coming out. This is like, like hikers coming out of the woods, you know. <laughs> Let's go get it, boys, you know. It doesn't make any sense, right? But God's like, I got this. And they're like, okay. Okay. We believe God. So we're going to be obedient. So they did exactly what God said. They marched around. They blew the trumpet. He said, don't make a shout until you know when. So when they blew the trumpet, they shouted. The walls fell down. They went and secured the city. They did everything that the Lord had said, though so they thought. Okay. What I want to do is, quickly, I want to outline some blessings that had come from this after I read for a moment, and then I want to show you a few things. Watch this. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 22, I kind of brought you up to this place. One thing I do want to point out is that Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, the hooker, she had shown a great uh, faith. Her actions had established the fact that she had true faith in that she risked her life to follow the plan of the Lord. She believed God okay, and his people. She believed the word of the Lord, and her actions proved it as she hid the spies and then helped them to get out. And what that's going to do is going to bring salvation by her faith, which was proven by her works. Okay, Now, as we read, we've made it up to this point now. Look at verse 22 in Joshua chapter 6. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into, Joshua the said Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives, and they put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Her faith that was proven by her works saved her. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, "'Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall (coughs) shall he lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land.'" What I love about Joshua is, is that he's, he's straight up for the Lord. I, he's, he's a good dude, all right? He's faithful. He loves the Lord. And though his fame arose, he, he didn't fall into this, um, this, this place of the hunger of fame or the fear of man or the love of, of, of um, power or anything like that. He's for the Lord. And so even though the, the fame of Joshua spread throughout the land, as we're going to see in just a minute, he wasn't concerned about his name. He was concerned about the name of the Lord. He was concerned about the things getting done for God's name's sake. So uh, before I go any further in, in Joshua chapter 7, I want to show you several things <coughs> that are uh, blessings. oh I am the wrong one while I go. Here we go. Come on, dude. It might have got froze on us. It must have froze up. Okay, well, here's, here's what I'll do then. It's okay. I'll just read it to you anyway. Now my whole thing is froze. Hey, there we go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, I just had to hit it harder. All right, so faith and obedience leads to the conquering of culture and the favor of the Lord. And I want we could just read it, but I wanted you to see because I want you to write this down. I want you to think about what I'm saying and go back and test it, okay? Go back and test it because this is going to be relevant to you. It should be anyway. Okay, so results of faith and obedience as we see them in Joshua chapter 6 is the favor of the Lord. We see the favor of the Lord. That his fame spread throughout the land. The walls fell down. They got all of the treasury, to, to all of the gold and silver and the things to put in the treasury of the Lord. They got their ministry funded, Right. Because God showed favor on them. They got to cross the Jordan on dry ground. If you remember back in the first part of Joshua, the blessings of the Lord just flowed as they had faith about the the priest going down into the river and and, and setting up shop there. And the waters parted all the way back to Adam. And it's just they were cut off. It was so beautiful. We also see that there was plentiful goods from the land. Remember that when they had spied out the land, there was grapes that two men had to carry back like luscious fruit and and wonderful supply that they did not have to worry about being taken care of, that it was bountiful. And when they had set up the Gilgal, if you remember, the manna stopped. Why? Because the produce and the goods and the food from the land was so abundant and so good. They had uh, cakes that they could just eat, and it was wonderful, plentiful goods from the land. A consecration of a nation if you remember that's why they were being circumcised and and they were being trained and they were being set apart the whole nation was together they were ready to fight for the lord they were ready to 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 to, to take over the culture and what is more important guys than family and unity and 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 this wonderful um breakdown of loneliness that's, why do you think LGBTQ, uh, period, exclamation mark, why do you think that they've had the success that they've had? It's because if they do one thing well, it's that they, they provide relationship. They will fight for one another. Even if they're fighting for something ridiculous, they will fight for one another, Right? But here we are as Christians, and like a brother's told me after church a couple of weeks ago, Christians are known for shooting their wounded. So oftentimes, the church is in such disarray, and, and then people gossiping and running your mouth. I can't stand it. It's horrible. It's horrid. It is, it is so foul, and people think that homosexuality is a worse sin than gossip. Come on. Gossip tears down the church, and it breeds dissension and lies and deceitfulness and backbiting and splits the people of God. It's horrible. It's deplorable. Stop running your mouth about God's people. If you ain't got nothing good to say, shut your mouth. As Hambone would say, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. And you better put sugar on those words because one day you might have to eat them. What would happen to God's people if that one thing—you just stop running your mouth about other people—God's church would go? Poof. I'm telling you, we're so divided. Did you hear? And and it's so often hid. This is the last thing I'm going to say about this. I got to move on. But don't ever come to me and hide your gossip in a prayer request. I will call you out in a skinny minute. Hey, you need to pray for so and so. I heard she's in debt. So I heard that. I heard that. I heard she's got a boyfriend. We need to pray about what she's doing with that boyfriend. You know what I heard? That's just gossip. I will. I will call that out, and you should call that out too. Don't let nobody. No, that's silly. All right, consecration. They're set apart. They're set apart for God. What if we were all set apart for God? Well, like what if we were all set apart and, we, and our minds were so on God and so off of ourselves that when somebody comes with some talk about, hey, did you hear about so-and-so did this and that? Listen, unless, okay, let's pray for that person. Let's go to them right now and pray for them right now. Why? Because we want them to be able to be set apart for Jesus Christ too. We don't want anything to hinder the gospel. Consecration of a nation. All kinds of blessings. Salvation of the spies. Salvation, this this is favor of the Lord. This is blessings when faith and obedience, because of Rahab's faith and because of her obedience, the spies' lives were saved. They weren't killed. They were saved. She hid them, and she saved them. The salvation of Rahab and her family... The the blessings of God just continue to flow when people are faithful and obedient. So the faithful obedience of Rahab saved the lives of the spies and her life. For when they had the opportunity to return the favor and they had swore that they would and they were faithful to their word and they did what they said they would do, Rahab and her whole family, multitudes of people were saved. Salvation comes because of faith and obedience. Lots of salvation comes. Also, the fall of Jericho. So the conquering of culture, the fall of Jericho. This this is a magnificent display of God's power which came through the faith and obedience of God's people. Everybody's like, I'm just waiting on God to do it. There's not a lot I, I agree with on very superstar famous preachers, one by the name of Stephen Furtick. He's got a lot of issues that I don't like he's a magnificent communicator but there's one thing that he said one time I mean not all of his stuff is bad okay he's just kind of whatever but uh there's one thing he just said one time that I really like it's actually in one of his songs he said we're not waiting on a move of God we are the move of God I like that I think that's biblical you know we we can say and, and and James from the scriptures tells us that what good is it if you tell them say go be well go in peace but you don't provide for them food and 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 clothing what good is your what good is your running of your mouth and your so-called faith if it doesn't have anything to back it up it's no good it's dead it's useless it's vain it's ridiculous useless is what the text says it's useless but When we have true faith, it finds its reality in the things that happen, right? It finds its reality in the things that happen. The fall of Jericho is a result of God's people being faithful and obedient to what He's calling them to do. If you want to see a transformation of a nation and of a world, then you've got to have faith, and your faith has to have works. You've got to be obedient. And listen to me, what I'm going to draw out here in just a minute is that I'm not just talking about what you do, but who you are. You have to be obedient. You have to be holy. You have to be righteous. You have to be set apart and pure, okay? That's not to say that we're going to earn our salvation, but you have got to be pure. You've got to watch your life, and you've got to watch what you let in so that you would be separate from the world, in the world, but not of the world. If you want to be effective, you've got to be holy, but that's what we're asking today. Does personal holiness still matter today? The conquering of a large culture. So Jericho, the walls of Jericho fell. They went in. They completely demolished that culture, and they brought in the reign and rule of God through his people. So these are blessings uh, uh, that we see coming from faith and obedience. It leads to the conquering of culture and the favor of the Lord. These are just some of the results. We could just keep on going and keep on going. And there's so many more. But here, let's break down now. You knew most of that. Let's break down now some new text in Joshua chapter 7, and this is what we're going to unpack. Number two, faithlessness and disobedience leads to being conquered by culture and the burning anger of the Lord. Now, what I want to do here is I want to move through this kind of quickly because what the meat of what I want to get to is whether or not, here's a question I'm going to ask. Is personal holiness still relevant and important today in the New Testament age? Okay, I want to answer that question, but to do so, I want to set this one other point up here, and I want to uh, get you some Old Testament context and some Old Testament uh, truth and foreshadowing, some types, I believe, and I want to move from there into the New Testament. Okay, so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. And let's see some result, results of faithlessness and disobedience. Before we do, let me read the Word of God. Okay, so we saw what happened up to chapter 6, and we saw all the wonderful blessing. <clears throat> chapter 7 starts this way. But, <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's, that's a problem. Because we were at a good place. We're at faithful obedience. The fame of Joshua spreading through all the land. God's... Fame was spreading through God's man. Praise the Lord. Chapter 7. But. But the people of Israel broke faith. Now, oh my goodness, I could spend so long here, but I do want to point out one thing right here. There was actually one man. One man. That we see anyway. The text only reveals one man. Who committed sin and broke the faith. His name is Achan. But what does the text say? But the people of Israel broke faith. There was one man who's pointed out as sinning. And it will be uh, narrowed all the way down to him. And you're going to see what happens. But it says the people of Israel. I just. This is a side note. For those of you who think that your sin affects nobody but you, please change your way of thinking. When a player on a football team steps off sides and he's the one that committed the foul, who's penalized? The whole team. If the quarterback threw an amazing touchdown to win the game on that play but he stepped off sides, Who gets the consequences? The whole team. And all the good is completely negated. Your sin does not only affect you, it affects everyone around you. It affects God's people. It affects your family. It affects this church and the effectiveness of this church. We must watch our lives. Okay. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. Here spies again. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, "Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there for their few." So about three thousand men went up from there, uh, from went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them uh, before the gate as far as Shebarim. And struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. What people is he talking about? The people of God. Whose hearts were melted in the previous chapters? The pagan idolaters who were not the people of God. Let's continue. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs Before their enemies. Do you remember when I told you about the thousands of Israelites who came up out of the water ready for battle? Do you remember when I took you to Ephesians chapter 6 and said there's no armor for the back that God's people are to face their enemy head on? Empowered by the Lord God. Empowered by the word of God that's been instilled in them and written on their hearts. And empowering of passionate desire to move forward the kingdom of God. And there is no armor for the back for you never turn your back. You never turn your back. You put your hand to the plow and you plow. Those who turn back from the plow are not fit for the kingdom of God. Oh, but they turn their backs. Oh, Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? You see, that's what I love about Joshua. When the Israelites were coming through the wilderness, I don't have much time here, but when the Israelites were coming through the wilderness and they did this, they did something very similar to what Joshua was doing. And they said something along the lines of, Why did you even bring us out of Egypt? We should have just stayed because we had plenty to eat in Egypt. What's going to come of us now? What are we going to eat? What are we going to, what are we going to, what are we going to, what are we going to? Well, Joshua, when he made this plea, why did we even come out over the Jordan? There's one difference in Joshua's word. It wasn't, what are you going to do for us now? What are we going to do? But he said, what are you going to do for your name's sake? Joshua revealed that he had faith and he was obedient and he wanted God's word to succeed. Because he knew that God had promised that this land was yours. And he said, what are the enemies going to think about you, O God? The only reason that he wanted blessing, and the only reason that I can tell from the text, the only reason that he wanted victory was so the name of the Lord would be exalted. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. God didn't even address AI. He said, What are you doing on your face? Get up, Israel is sin. It's like, don't you know, boy? Don't you know? Don't you understand that when there's sin in the camp, there cannot be progress. Don't you understand that personal holiness is of the degree of importance that when it comes into the camp, all progress ceases. Don't you understand? My people have sinned against me. Don't you understand that they have loved things more than they love me? Don't you understand that when somebody loves something more than they love me, it destroys everything and people die. If God is not completely consuming you and is your every desire, then you will be completely consumed with every other desire. Oh, when will we learn? When will we learn? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? It's like, shouldn't you have known? Shouldn't you have known? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. This is slight. (laughs) This is slight, but I want to show you something here. He said, they got things and put them among their belongings. What's the, what's the innuendo there? What's, what's the, huh? It's not theirs. This is stolen goods. This ain't yours. This is mine. You took my stuff and you put it with your stuff. Your stuff's over there. My stuff's over here. My stuff shouldn't be with your stuff. Because that's your stuff and this is my stuff. So don't put my stuff with your stuff. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Oh, people of God. So many people ask me, Pastor, why is this, why is that, why is this, why that? And they get upset with me when I ask the question, what, what sin you got in your life? And it's not always sin that brings hardship. I get it. But more often times than not, it seems to be. I'm a very practical person. Isn't the shortest trip or the shortest path to a destination is a straight line so why not just talk straight do you got sin in your life if you don't don't get mad just say no I don't know it seems very legit to me when people get mad seems to tell me that well yeah you do and now you're hiding it (laughs) you're mad because I'm asking about it (laughs) you know I mean you know Job was honest Job was honest when his friends was asking him about his sin. We know that it wasn't even Job's sin that brought the trial, but Job, although he did end up saying, "I don't got no sin, I don't got no sin," but now he wasn't saying he was sinless. But he's like, I don't. he was examining. He's like, "Do I got sin? Do I got sin?" He's looking at every, under, you know, I don't know. Do I got sin. I was like, "I don't got no sin. I don't think there's, there's no sin that's bringing this." You know, it's not always sin, but a lot of times it's sin. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I got to move on. I will be with you no more. Some of y'all want to hold on to that sin. Some of us, let's say that. Some of us want to hold on to that sin. Oh, God's, God's gracious brother. God's gracious uh, okay, let me, let me give it in a New Testament language. Paul says, okay, shall sin abound so that grace may abound all the more? May it never be. So you're like, God's gracious. He forgives a multitude of sin. So, yeah, I got the sin in my life, but I know God's forgiven me for it. Are you going to do it tomorrow? Well, yeah, he's going to forgive me tomorrow too. Get out of my face. Where are you going? Is this... A, is this... <laughs> Is this convicting here? <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. Got? <laughs> if that wouldn't have been my son, I wouldn't have done that. For y'all newcomers, he's mine. <laughs> All the newcomers like, Jenny, don't get up. <laughs> oh Lord have mercy. <laughs> Okay, we got to move on. Here, let's go. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. No more will I be with you unless you destroy the devoted things from among you get up, consecrate the people and say consecrate yourselves for tomorrow for thus says the Lord God of Israel there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you in the morning therefore you shall be brought near by your tribes and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households and the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man and he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel do you see how how important this is to God and I think that I will positively show you that it's just as nope not just as even more important than the New Testament to be continued so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of Zerahites was taken and he brought near the clan of Zerahites man by man and Zab was taken and he brought near his household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi son of Zabdi son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken then Joshua said to Achan my son my son give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done do not hide it from me And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And I took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Just real quick in passing, a couple of things I want to point out. The man got caught looking at that which was not his and coveting and desiring it as if it was his own. He took that which was not his as if it were his own because he loved it more than he loved the Lord. But here's what I want to point out to you. The text says that it was hidden in the earth Beneath his tent. Very practical question I want to ask you. Could he enjoy that which he had loved more than the Lord? Could he have enjoyed that which he loved more than the Lord? No. It was hidden. It was put into a place where it could not be enjoyed where it could not be gazed upon with delight. And it sat there underneath him, calling out his name, driving him insane. It had to be for two reasons. One, he could not enjoy it, and you know he loved it. And two, he knew that he had sinned against the Lord. And so it, was, it, was, it had to have been eating him alive in two different ways. You see, all those things that you put before the Lord that you think are going to bring so much joy, they won't. won't. They're turned upside down. They're not meant to be what you're trying to make them to be, and they are devouring you from the inside out. Looking at those things. see, sex is made for a beautiful, monogamous, heterosexual marriage. And when you do it outside of that, It may seem good at the moment when it begins, but so quickly and so often, it becomes something that's devastating. Therefore, the suicide rates among those who struggle with this are astronomical. Sex, money, food, everything is the same. All good gifts come down from above. But the enemy, the deceiver, the crafter of schemes, the one parading as an angel of light takes good things and he manipulates them and he twists them and he offers them as some sort of pleasureful something when all it is is a trap. And he snatches you up. Truly I have sinned. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent and the silver underneath, and they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, to the, son, uh, took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Acre and Joshua, which is the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, "Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today." And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Twice it says it. We think that all oh, this sin's not big, big of a deal. Do you know how much this is? The city of Jericho. I looked it up, very wealthy city, very large city, walls all around that would have taken so much money. Do you know the, the magnificent wealth that was taken from Jericho? The reason I say that is this, a cloak and 200 shekels of silver drop in the bucket. I'm sure Achan was like, Look at the mountain and rivers of gold that go to the Lord. The Lord won't mind if I take this. Don't you think? Don't you think Achan would have said, I deserve this. I've battled, I've waged war, I've been obedient. What's this little bit? God owes me this. God won't mind. It's just a little something. Just a little something. Just a little peak. Just a little look, just a little drink, just a little, it's not, it's not a big deal. Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today, and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of the place is called the Valley of Acre, which is the Valley of Trouble. Do you see here? They stoned him so much, it seems, from the text, as if almost that they stoned him until he was dead. And then they just kept on hitting the same place with stones, and the stones started piling up. They're not even hitting him anymore. He's dead. He's under the pile of stones. And they continue on so much that the pile of stones gets taller and taller until this man who's already dead has the weight of the wrath of God bearing down on him forever, the text says, to this day for the sins that he committed. Holiness is of the utmost importance to God. Can we all agree in the Old Testament? <laughs> I mean, every, anybody that I just read that to and says, oh, God doesn't really, you crazy, right? Like God, I mean, they piled up the stuff. So we agree in the Old Testament, holiness, obedience is of the utmost importance. Amen. Amen. Okay. The question now and I was going to go through this. I'll go through this really quickly just so you can see the contrast, and then we're going to move because I, I want to move on to the New Testament. If you'll remember, the results of faith and obedience was the favor of the Lord. Here we see the, the results of faithless and disobedience. Faithlessness and disobedience is the burning anger of the Lord, as opposed to the favor. As opposed to the crossing of the Jordan on dry ground, it says their hearts melted like water. I don't believe this is an accident. Plentiful goods in the new land, they ran out of Ai screaming with nothing in hand, fleeing the land empty-handed. In uh, when uh, faith and obedience, they consecrated a nation, well, here it was the defeat of a nation. They ran screaming. This, the salvation of the spies when you're faithful and obedient. Now it's it's the embarrassment of the spies. Remember what they said? Oh, this ain't no big deal. This ain't no big deal. Oh, you don't even send everybody up there. That would be a waste. Just send about three thousand, right? Well, they got embarrassed because those three thousand got it handed to them. The salvation of Rahab and the whole family. Well, here's the death of Achan and the whole family. You see? You think this is an accident? It's exactly opposite. The fall of Jericho. How about the rise of AI? How about the city that, when the spies went out, they were like, "Listen, don't even send everybody up." If AI would have got word of that, I know if I like, I'm a I'm a competitive guy. Like it, you could be a bad dude. Like, okay, I went and got in the tough man contest, and there was like this six foot seven guy. He's like What was this? Two hundred seventy six pounds, and he wasn't fat. Well, he had a little bit of fat, but he was big, right? And, uh, you know, it, the thought was, man, he might whoop me. Well, the more I thought that he thought it might be easy to whoop me, I just got madder, right? You might whoop me, but it ain't going to be easy, all right? I promise. Well, what if they, hey, was, man, they probably heard. I think they're going to come over here and only send 3,000. I bet you as they was chasing the Israelites back down, the hill, be like, y'all better bring more, right? That's what I would have said. So, the fall of Jericho is opposed to the rise of Ai. Uh, well, you remember that they conquered a nation. Jericho fell, right? They conquered that nation. Well, here they got conquered by the nation. Now, man, I, if I had like two more hours, you watch what happens when the church allows sin to creep into the church. And they, they, they start to live in disobedience, okay? Allow some sin to come in. Call, call unrighteousness righteousness and watch and see if the church does not directly image and mirror the culture. The culture will conquer the church instead of the church conquering the culture. You cannot live in sin and call it righteousness and not be conquered by the culture. It's not possible. You show me a church that embraces homosexuality, I'll show you a church that looks just like the world and there is no difference. And that's not a church. That is not a church. That is the world in church clothing and more. Okay, so here's the question now. Does personal holiness still matter in the New Testament age? Everybody agrees personal holiness matters in the Old Testament age because you get hit in the face with a rock, right? If I had a rock up here today, and I'd be like, Hey, did you read your Bible yesterday? And Judy's like, I got it in my hand. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so everybody agrees in the Old Testament, yeah, that matters, Brian. That matters, Brian. But but nowadays it's kind of like, uh, you know, Jesus came, bro, chill, relax, bro. You know, we can do this thing. You know, you got people who think that they can do all kind of stuff. He like, don't judge me, bro. <laughs> I'm judging everybody. I'm gonna judge everybody, right? <laughs> I am. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's one of my points, right? Personal holiness, it means that you can effectively judge. So like This whole idea that we shouldn't judge, you know, I like doing that, boys, I don't know why. I'm going to do it the rest of the time today. Don't judge me, bro. You know? is, that, is that not like the perfect voice to encapsulate the, the spirit of the age, God? Oh, my goodness. Jeremy, is that right for the spirit of the age? <laughs> Whatever makes you happy, <laughs> you know? No, no. <laughs> Whenever my wife's head does like this, I know I'm on to something. <laughs> or I need to chill, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, y'all chill. I got to finish. Okay, okay. Okay, we're going to get serious again right now. Here's my first point. Okay, so <laughs> the question is, is personal holiness still important in the New Testament age? And, and all jokes aside, doesn't it seem like that? I, I, I know it doesn't just seem like that. That's the way it is. When I talk to people, they're not really concerned with personal holiness, not to the degree that, to the degree that they should. And they, they all, you know, most everybody, most of you, most Christians who call themselves Christians, I'm not even saying they're not, they usually will say something like, yeah, I need to read my Bible more, or yeah, I need to work on this, or yeah, I need to work on that. But I don't know many people who are just broken in a pool of tears, devastated, because their life is not what it needs to be in order to align with the commands of God, even in the New Testament, okay? Uh, Most people don't really, they don't really care that much about it, okay? Even if they, you know, say they love the Lord. I don't think this is just, uh, I maybe exaggerated a little bit with the whole voice, but I, I really do believe that we feel like that personal holiness is really not that big of a deal because Jesus Christ has paid the price. Well, I think that's a good, legitimate question. Does the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for sin on the cross and atoned for our sins, does that negate the importance of personal holiness. Isn't that a good question? Go and sin no more. That's a good question. Didn't Jesus say that often? Let's ask this question. Does personal holiness still matter in the New Testament age? Okay, well, the first thing I want to point out, and you might not like it. I don't care. Personal holiness and works issues from true faith And is necessary to prove your faith for salvation. What if I told you that without holiness, none of you will see God? You say, Brandon, you're going Old Testament on us. No, I'm not. Terry, can you pull up James 2, 14 through 26 for me, please? Now, you might think that I'm just kind of cherry picking here and want to pull up a verse that proves what I'm saying, but how about a verse that reaches back to our text? Would that be nice? That'd be nice. Look at James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> Reads this way What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If that wasn't enough, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Okay, Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Here's the example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How many of you knew that verse was in the Bible? We're going to explain it a little bit because I think it needs a little explanation. Especially in light of sola fide, by faith alone. Well, is it not by faith alone? <coughs> Talk about it in just a minute. You see, but this should like really get our attention. All of, the, all of the blabbit and grabbit Christians, all of the once saved, always saved. I said a prayer when I was 13 and I'm good. Should take note. You take note. Because without a faith that actually has works, you better not believe in that false assurance. That's the Bible. Don't be mad at me. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay. Now, I'm going to make a distinction in about one and a half to two minutes between works done and personal holiness lived out. Because what I I don't want you to do is to get to the place where you say, okay, I'm doing a bunch of stuff and that bunch of stuff proves my faith. I just don't live very clean myself. Nope, that won't get it either. It's actually got to be personal holiness, living according to the Word of God, proving your faith, and that living life according to the Word of God, having its fruition and fruit displayed for the world to see, and having uh, its its hands busy with the work of the gospel doing things out in the world. There's two. Does that make sense to everybody? Are you following? Are you tracking with that? There's two types of holiness here, two types of works I'm talking about. There's a work that's done inside of you that purifies you, that conforms you to the image of the Son, and you are continually day by day mortifying the flesh, killing the flesh, killing the lust of the flesh. You are becoming more and more holy. That's not to say you're sinless and perfect, but you are day by day being conformed to the image of God, and when you see things in your life that doesn't line up, you are going to the cross, you are confessing your sins, you are being covered in and moved by God to become more like Christ. You are repenting daily of your sins It's one of the fruits of the spirit. So, and then there is the outworking of that transformation in your life that it would be on display for the world to see, okay? Right now, though, I want to talk to you about the works that are working themselves out in your life that would prove the faith that you have, whether or not it was even for real. So, it is not that the work, okay? Now, raise your hand if you're listening to what I'm saying. It's important. I am not saying that your works bring about your salvation. I'm not saying that. And that's not what James is saying. That would put him in opposition to Brother Paul. Okay? Paul says our works do not save us. We're saved by faith. And that is of Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. And that is not of yourself, but a gift of God. We don't want to put James in opposition to Paul. And he's not. What James is saying is, is that the faith Brother Paul's telling you about looks a certain way. It has certain results. It has works. And when somebody has the faith that Brother Paul talks about, now James ain't said this, you understand I'm paraphrasing here and I'm helping unpack a little bit. James says the faith that Brother Paul is telling you about will always have works. And if works are not present, and holiness is not present, then you ain't got the faith that Brother Paul was telling you about. You got another kind of faith. And that's why he distinguishes that faith does not save. You see the distinction. We're talking about two different kinds of faith. There's a faith that has works. That faith saves. And the works are necessary not to cause the salvation but to evidence and prove that the faith which causes salvation is a legitimate faith. Does that make sense? Good. The absence of the works The absence of holiness is evidence that the faith that one has is an illegitimate faith, one that does not have the power to save. Does that make sense? This is the same faith as it is that the demons have. Did you know that? Demons have faith. They just don't have the kind of faith that saves. They do have the kind of faith that affects them. This is mind-blowing. Demons believe, and their belief causes them to shudder. It doesn't cause them to work for the Lord. It causes them to work for the enemy. Now, didn't plan on this, but here's a connection I want to make. If your faith enables you to sin all the more, this evidences that you have the faith of demons. For your sin your faith brings about an opportunity to work for the enemy. If your faith is of God, it only and always leads to work. For God. Does this make sense? Okay, with that out of the way, we'll do five more minutes. I'm serious. I'm going to have to talk fast. I'm going to have to bring you up here. Galatians 5. Okay, so that we don't get called up with just outward working and not inward holiness. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, anybody who's reading can understand that we're talking about personal action and personal movement. He says, but I say, this is Paul now, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and Paul's going to agree with James right here, by the way, as he does in it all. But people try to put James and Paul at odds. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For now, I'm sorry, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. Now, you need to pay attention because I asked the question. I just painted a picture for you from the Old Testament of what happens when one lives in faithless disobedience to the Lord. And the disobedience is the proof of the faithlessness. You need to get that. That's why I did the James text first that spoke of Rahab's works of righteousness as proof to her true faith. What I'm going to say now is, is that your unrighteousness in and of yourself may very well be the proof of your faithlessness and you need to be concerned about those things. Watch what he says here. Verse 27 envy, drunkenness, orgies, this whole list right here, which is not exhaustive. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does anybody misunderstand what I just said? And I'm just reading the Bible, I'm not even preaching. I am simply reading the text, and what comes right after this to provide the counter, uh, the counter to this, the 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 opposing reality to this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. You see, we don't do these things in order to secure salvation when true salvation is secured we can understand that the deeds of the flesh go away and the fruit of the spirit emerge. and when we find in our lives that the deeds of the flesh are starting to arise we call upon the name of the Lord we confess and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness okay I gotta do this part if you need to go I understand doors right there but I want to do this part okay okay good nobody left it's a good thing it's a good thing I really wouldn't have been upset if you needed to go because i got somewhere I might need to be too okay there's a, there's a bunch of scriptures I do want to go through but I'm just going to I'm just going to paint it for you I want you to see this beautiful thing we'll Pray that the Lord paints it in your head like or better than he did in mine. In the Old Testament, when Achan had done these things, committed these sins, and taken what wasn't his as if it was his, he then was called out for his sin. And he confessed his sin. And then he paid for his sin. And sin got what it deserved. And he was stoned with stones and burned with fire. That's what he should have got. That's what you and I should get. Every one of us with a pile of heaping stones up on top of us. But when Christ came, he took upon himself the sins of a sinful world. And the weight of the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. In full measure. And he had a stone rolled over him as well. The flesh ripped from his body. And when the text said he he descended into the pit. I can only imagine that he felt the flames of the eternal fire. That he tasted death. For sins that he didn't commit. See, there was nothing that Christ could confess. There was nothing that he could say. I have hidden this from the Lord. No, he was transparent, open. He was he was absolutely uh, obedient in every way. He was laid bare before the Lord, bruised, beaten, and battered. He was crushed for our iniquities, and as the Lord Jesus looked. He said, what shall I ask now that this cup pass from me? Was it not this time that, that I was, this is why I was born. So he drank the cup. What was in the cup? It was the full wrath of God. In this last verse, I didn't get to go through this. I'll send you the notes if you want it. Personal holiness means a lot, a lot. I wanted to get to this place here. Can you click on the Galatians 2.20? My thing's not working. Galatians 2.20. You see, as Achan, as Achan confessed his sin, and he's he found no place for somebody to pay for his sin in that moment. We do not plead guilty before the Lord. We don't plead innocent, but we don't plead guilty. We plead the blood. We confess Christ. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our deliverance. Christ is our holiness. Christ is our purity. Christ is everything that we need to be in order to have a relationship with God. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me and gave himself for me. You see, Christ is our righteousness, but not only is he our imputed righteousness that we would be declared righteous before the, before the Lord of hosts, but he is the transforming agent that would cause us to reflect that righteousness in our person. What I'm saying is, is the buck doesn't stop at us just being able to say, yes, Christ paid it all for me. And we can say that loud and, and, and we can be sold out and know that Christ paid for every one of my sins, past, present, and future. But the abiding results of that righteousness that's been imparted to us. Is a personal holiness and a personal pursuit of holiness that is never rivaled in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ says in Matthew 5, I do not, do not think I have come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. He said, Not one jot, not one tittle shall pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. What does he mean? He means that upon receiving Christ through faith is that we're imparted with a righteousness that can't even be thought of by the greatest Jew that ever lived. They can live and keep every law, but they're going to fall woefully short. But us, Christ fulfills us, and as he moves in us, remember what Ezekiel chapter 26 says? That the law of God is written on our heart that He removes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He he puts His Spirit within us and He writes His Word upon our heart and He causes us to walk in His ways and obey His statutes. Yes, every single day, though you are already justified before the Lord of hosts through sanctification and the movement of Christ Jesus who lives inside of you, you become more and more holy. A Christian, a man of God, a woman of God cannot continue to live in sin and be happy about it. He is going to be convicted. She is going to be convicted and they're going to run from that sin and they're going to live in the Spirit and they're going to become more holy every single day and they're going to be conformed to the image of Christ and when you are conformed to the image of Christ and you put away that sin and that sin is mortified in your flesh then you start to be effective your prayers are not hindered your life is not hindered, your ministry is not hindered your joy is not hindered but you are living free if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed let's all stand to our feet I know I've went long today Are your prayers being hindered? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and be transformed. Or is your life turned upside down? Do you not have any peace? Turn your life over to the Lord. Live for Him every minute of every day. Do you know that you know the Lord, but you have turmoil inside? But you right now, you know what sin it is in your life. You know what it is. Sins of obedience. I mean, uh, sins of commission and sins of omission. Things you're doing wrong and things you're just not doing that you know you should be doing. Give your whole being to Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question today. I don't do this every time, but let me ask the question today. Is anybody in the place not a believer? And today they want to give their lives to Jesus Christ and be transformed by Him. Anybody in the place today not a believer? I want to give you an opportunity to become a believer today. Receive Christ and be transformed. Anybody? I won't drag it out. We do it with lights on and eyes open. Okay, I pray to God that that means every one of you are saved now I'll give you an opportunity to come and respond where you stand or here or wherever respond to, to Jesus Christ and let's move you see the conquering of culture comes when we're faithful to the king and obedient to his commands this world, they ain't ready for that they're not ready for that let's move together brother and sister praise God for you, I love you